and welcome to episode 196 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here at Dave's house, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. So Stanislav, you know, I was going to ask you if you wanted me to mention that you're at Dave's house, because there's a, there's a kind of a cascading sequence of conversations that have to happen after I say, why are you at Dave's house? I am at Dave's house. Dave's not here. Oh, Dave's not here, man. There's another, there's someone who sounds and looks like Dave on the show with us who we're about, we're about to introduce, but it's not, it's not the actual Dave. I'm going to make my voice a little bit raspier and now I'm Dave. I've got a beard. And I look like Dave. It, it's it's a doppelganger, but he just doesn't have a mustache. And his name is Have Darbarger. Hmm. Hmm. You, you there, Have? It's a me, Have. <laughs> Chris Pratt, is that you? <laughs> this is a terrible new guest host we have. I don't like this co-host. Should we just call him Dave for, yeah. for our convenience? It's, it's that like- seems way way more convenient. No, but Stan, I know there was something going on with your house, and now you've got to be at Dave's house, which is cool because now you get a custom background. It looks like you're like a Zoom background. It's 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 like Dave's house dot bitmap. Yeah, my wife and child and I decided to move to the suburbs for a little bit, and it's not just any old suburb. It's historic Oak Park, Illinois, and uh, I'm like Dave. How long did it take me to get to your house after I texted you? I'm on my four minutes not long oh man living the dave dream i actually think i i measure that it's exactly one mile so but like the wheel that counts distance like like a surveyor uses no with an app on my phone called maps all all i have to say is grandmaster games here in oak park you better look out for some dive down boys (laughs) yeah wednesdays are about to get wet because we're diving in Mm. (laughs) good perfect I i get it now yeah I rolled into that one nicely. But yeah, it's true. I'm at Dave's house. We're not in the same room for audio purposes, but it's crazy. That's not what this week's show is about. There's two closets separating us. I'm in a closet, and then there's two closets on the other side of this closet, and then Stan's in the the office right over there. So, Uh, Are neither of these doors that I'm looking at entry into your closet? No, they're they're their own closets for that room. This house has too many closets. (laughs) There's a lot of closets in this house. I don't know why. Closets for Dave's, flowers for Aldernon. Um, on this week's show, we're going to do a breakdown of the Energy Ohio results from this past weekend. We're going to touch on some of the modern decks from the Team Trio's main event, and then we're going to look a little bit more closely at the results from the modern 5K that happened on Sunday. I think we're going to look at the, we'll look at the Pioneer top decks as well because they tell an interesting story. I think so. Awesome, yeah. Shane's we'll going to walk about us through that. that. I'll, I'll be the judge yeah, I mean, of that. How, how interesting the story is remains to be seen. But And then when we're done with this fabulous breakdown, because we are the official podcast of the NRG series, no one else is allowed to talk about the tournaments, but they do, and they should be paying us royalties, which they don't. We're going to cover some of our own deck testing that we've done over the last week. To be clear, we're not looking for royalties from, from energy and that's sentiment. We're, we're no, happy with them. No. It's, from, it's from others who choose to talk about it they are yeah, infringing it's, on it's our dumb IP. harvey Ari Lax, you guys dominaria's judgment i want i want some some cash now you know send we're, it we're coming after you we've been uh, we've been testing new decks too so i want to make sure we get into that section because i'm excited to share my foibles trials and tribulations before all that though let's housekeep we got one new patron who joined the dive down nation it is david s Sarbarger. 
David no, Sarbar. No, no, no. It's it's the season of David S. Pumpkins. Oh, you're right. It is. David S. Pumpkins. Thank you very much, Mr. Pumpkins. We also got a couple new reviews from Pogue59 and Sasha's Hideous Laughter. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that Pogu59 does listen to the dive down in the shower while walking, while doing the dishes. So, you know, a fellow podcast listener as as we are and also sasha's hideous laughter it's it's funny stanislav i've heard this a few times where people literally think you are stanislav sifka and it's like he's clearly not that good stanislav sifka i mean yeah no he can't touch me and until we until we play the grudge match we'll never know so it's it's schrodinger's stanislav grudge match so if you are interested in helping keeping us going, if you want to get access to the definitively discreet Dive Down Discord, if you want to get our custom-made deck boxes, if you want to get stickers, if you want to get custom tokens by a professional comic artist, Benjamin Dewey, if you want to get access to the episode early, if you want to get a playmat, if you want to do a custom episode with us every six months, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down uh there's different tiers for different amounts of support you'd like to throw our way we appreciate every last one of you who have done that now or in the past and yeah check it out there's a lot to uh offer there number one thing i want to thank people for for in the last week by the way while we're talking about some reviews that happened is the youtube commenters who took the time to tell us that they take their iphones in the shower so we shouldn't feel worried about it so thanks thanks team I appreciate it. I, I didn't look at the YouTube comments because I never look at the YouTube comments. There's not, Maybe there's not a lot, but there's some dedicated dedicated people who do that. But we, we had some new people tell us that uh, we're all good there. So shower away, folks. Dave, this is a great segue into Bear Stern Man. Let's just get our, our ad read in right now. It's getting cooler in Chicago. My beard is back in town. That beard oil. Oh, how I missed it. Let me tell you, my beard is feeling smooth, silky. My face feels just like hydrated and the word oily has this almost negative connotation my face isn't oily it just kind of feels like it's not dry Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah you have a natural it's like it's it's replacing all the stuff you wash out you know showering every day does take a toll on your hair on your beard hair and whatnot so yeah i need to i need to actually get back into the beard oil myself i'm so focused on the shaving i forget about the oiling and it is winter stuff gets weird in winter we all know this Speaking of shaving, I got to use some of that new Muir. Muir? Muir? Muirwood. 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 It's nice. Yes, I like it a lot. Yeah. If if you're not sure which fragrance to try with Barristone Man, take my advice. You can try Muir. And yeah, you can try it by getting samples now, which is great. Instead of getting the the full kit and caboodle, you can try a bunch of small things. I myself was using La Grande Chipra today, and man... I just I love that one the 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 shaving ointments and the shaving soap and the aftershave uh, what is that it's not the balm it is a splash the splash is, is so dope I love I love the Grand Chipra it's up there with waves for me it's like my second favorite I think of the the regular staples but Stan you're a lavender man right traditionally I was but I've basically been rotating all the fragrances that they've sent me over the months and even even the the what's it's fragrance i still tap into from time to time when i want something a little fruitier i, I tried the mirrorwood recently just because I, I got the sample not so long ago and i love that one too it's it's just hard to it's starting to get hard to pick a favorite that's what's good about it i mean 
Will's good at what he does, Barrister and Man, make good products. If you want to get 15% off your first order there, go to Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N.com. It's not just guy stuff. It's for people of any gender, anywhere on the gender spectrum. There's a lot of stuff for you and yours there. Use code thedivedown15 for 15% off your first order. You can also support the show while playing Magic with a Mana Traders account. If you use promo code thedivedown15, you'll get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And last but not least, buy some Paper Magic cards with promo code DIVE8 from Nerd Rage Gaming. We don't even get a kickback. We're just happy that you get a discount. That's all the kickback we need is the satisfaction that our friends, our friends, fans, and listeners are, are saving a little bit of money on Paper Magic cards. They can be expensive, especially if you are on the Energy Series. You're buying cards constantly to keep up with this ever-changing metagame that Shane is going to walk us through now. Oh no. Okay. Here I am. All right. Breakdown. So we had the NRG series event in Newark, Ohio. We had events. We had, of course, Saturday, the team trios, 10K, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, team trios. Sunday, we had the Modern 5K. We might as well talk about both because Modern and Modern was featured in both of them, of course, and Pioneer was featured in the team trios. On Saturday, we had 57 teams of three people, which meant there were six rounds of Swiss. And I guess what I did is I kind of said, hey, might as well look at the Pioneer meta, and we can look at the Modern meta, and then we can look at kind of what happened uh, in the top eight and whatnot. So here's our Pioneer meta. It's what you think it's going to be. 13 <laughs> copies or 22.8% Rakdos mid-range. Okay. Hmm. Uh-huh. That is what I would think. What else? Do you want to talk about win rates as we go along, or should we just come back and talk about win rates? Yeah, we're, we're as long as we're here, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. 47%. Mm. Not that good. Wild. Rakdos mid-rangey win rate. Yeah, I do, I do want to say really fast, it is very tough to track win rates in these tournaments, yes. because keep in mind that... When someone is playing and two matches complete, they do not finish their match usually. Yes. So. Yeah. So this is not you know this is not amazing data, but it is data. We had also thirteen copies or twenty two point eight percent of mono green ramp uh, with, but this of course featured a sixty one percent win rate, so quite a bit higher. That's better. It is, it is better. <laughs> More on mono green uh, ramp to come when we start talking about top eights. Seven copies or 12.3% mono white humans. Mono white did not have a great weekend. Players who were on that were in the 43% win rate range. But what I think is weird about this, wait, or not weird, 43? Wait, wait, 43%? Yeah. My goodness. That's, bad. That's, that's not good. That's very not good. No, I mean, but so this to me is like, this is the triumvirate of Pioneer right now. Basically, this is the rock, paper, scissors that everyone talks about about Pioneer, where it's our aggro deck of mono white humans, it's our ramp deck of mono green, and it's our mid range deck of Rakdos. And this, they make up what, about 56% of the metagame in these three decks, which is that's quite a bit. So you're going to face down a lot of those, a lot of these decks. And then if you want to get into it, we've got four decks or seven copies of Abzan Grease Fang, kind of serves as our combo element, which is always, of course, something that is in most uh, Magic metagames. So there you go. Wow. Grease Fang, the fourth one, that's kind of amazing. I didn't pick up the win rate here for some reason. I, rem- I think I, if I remember looking at the MTG Melee page, it was kind of around 48 or 50%, I believe, but don't quote me on it. Then we had a bunch of two ofs, like Five Color Fires and Mono Blue Spirits and Rakdos Sack, Band Spirits. Is it Phoenix? 
mono red aggro, and then a, some one ofs like Gruel Aggro, which is a deck I honestly thought would have more players. I feel like it's been getting some hype and some Twitter news. Yeah, I I actually would expect the same to be true of Is It Phoenix, which I've been hearing ever since the Mox tournament. I believe it was, was it the Mox where Phoenix won. I've just that been sounds hearing, right. I've just been hearing a lot of hype about how it's only bad matchup is Rakdos, and it's uh, favored against Mono Green and pretty good against most of the other decks that are trying to beat Mono Green. So only two of's here for what's been like a long-standing and very popular deck is a little surprising to me. Yeah, I'm also a bit surprised to see Mono Red Aggro fall so far. I remember in, I think the last time Team Trios happened, Mono Red was very popular. I think it was one of the most popular and I think winningest decks. I remember I think it, it took the team, I think the team that won had Mono Red Aggro as their, as their pioneer seat. And it's funny that Mono Blue Spirits, after sort of existing as the Mono Green foil for so long, I think people have realized that it's just not maybe as good or potentially as good as the uh, the Mono White Human strategies. It's perhaps, it's, I don't know. It's bad against Rakdos. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like Mono White Humans can potentially just go wide around Rakdos. Like they're not just like automatically a dog to it. Oh, so in, in my experience, I think that Mono White, Mono White has done very well against me when I've been on Rakdos. And I think that it obviously does well against Mono Green too. So I think Mono White does good against the two main decks, but does kind of not as well against other random aggro things and other decks in the format. So, and Jeskai, I think just eats it up, but sure. And, um, and Azorius control probably does pretty well against it with like sweepers and stuff like that. So, uh, we also had one of Lotus field, which is another mildly surprising thing to me. I feel like I saw it when I was looking at some lists recently, I feel like I saw Lotus field do pretty well. Like I think it showed up, um, in a top eight of a challenge recently. Again, don't quote me on this, but so there's our meta game there. I personally don't have any surprises here besides the ones we talked about, which is kind of the descending decks or the ones that people don't seem quite as confident in bringing. And then just the, the sheer top heaviness of this metagame. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing to take a look at go, getting closer and closer to the RC coming up in four weeks, basically. Right now to see, you know, a lot of these people that are playing in these tournaments or that are doing well in these tournaments, for sure, people who have qualified to go to Atlanta and go down um, so it's interesting to see the decks that they're choosing, and it, it makes me feel like maybe we're not going to be in line for any real surprises in Atlanta. Now, there is a whole new set that's going to be legal by the RC, right? Brothers War will yes. be? It, it's legal that weekend, actually, yeah. it's official release. This is gonna, it's going to feel like a pro tour, almost, where it's yeah. like, hey, it's like the second weekend. Hope you found your cards, and hope you have some new strategies, perhaps. But it would take a lot, I think, to unseat these two decks in particular from the top of the metagame right now. Um, so I don't, I don't know if it's coming. I right. think we're, we're going to see a whole lot of people who take Rakdos mid and, and Devotion and go from there. The one thing that's been interesting, I guess, in the mono green space in Pioneer has seeing people adapt different flavors of mono green lately. So there's been, you know, the mono green, more traditional build, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, where it's like Planeswalkers and we're doing a combo. There's been some mono green decks that I've seen that are much more creature heavy, like Todd Anderson was messing around with one. And I think that that's one that is a devotion deck that also beats the Planeswalker version of devotion. I saw someone trying out one recently with Vivian Arcbow Ranger, I think is the one that lets you 
Karn creatures out of your sideboard. Basically, instead of going to get colorless threats, so you're going to get big creatures, even all the way up to something like Ulamog. Um, so there's some weird kind of leveling going on, even within the mono green space right now. Uh, Rakdos mid is Rakdos mid is Rakdos mid still, but yeah, I feel like mono green is like vaguely tunable in terms of some of the threats that you're bringing in, or like you know, last five cards, something like that. And like you said, it's likely at this point like leveling and trying to figure out what beats the mirror and the decks I'm expecting to see. All right, going to look at the modern meta now, and this is a little bit more varied, thankfully, with some interesting surprises, at least for me. And we start with 12.3% or seven decks Azorius Control featuring <laughs> Kahira. Some surprises. Some surprises. Yes. Okay. I mean, this is so, yes, I mean, I, 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 I kind of suspected, and I mentioned this in a recent episode, was it last episode? I thought a lot of players would move to this over four-color control variants, and I it seems like a good number of players have done it this weekend. I think, you know, this is just Azorius Control with walkers and elementals, leyline binding, prismatic ending, counter magic, the usual nine yards of Azorius Control. Uh, the ones that I've seen typically run the Jeskai and Sultai Triomes to quickly get to your five land types. And, you know, runs Kahira. Like, it only requires that your creature cards be cats, elementals, nightmares, dinosaurs, or beasts. So, you know, it has six elementals, typically. So that's all you need to be able to run Kahira. And then it's either a 3-2 for three, or it can be pitched to Solitude if you want it to. So there you go. I haven't looked at the Kahira list in a really long time. Nightmares, I mean, dinosaurs, or beasts as yeah, well. You can run dinosaurs. Yeah. That's amazing. So get your um, Elder Gargaroth. Yeah. Oh, what's shit. that big, what's that 13 13 dinosaur with trample? It gets reduced for your. Galta. It starts with a G. Galta. Yeah, Galta. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So run Galta in it. I don't care. Do whatever Galta. you want. <laughs> <laughs> this is the paper players like Dream Deck, right? Which is like, hey, I get to run Azorius Control again. I get to still use a companion. Might as well. And yeah, we I mean, see some good players in the top eight, uh, not to spoil it, but we see some top eight players running this deck. The top, eight, top, eight, top eight players are out here running blue-white control? You've got to be kidding. <laughs> I am not. It still is a paper tournament, my friend. After this, we've got five copies or 8.8% uh, Golgari Yogmoth. It's Golgari Yogmoth, as you know. Uh, and, you know, it's typically pretty well represented at these NRG events. And for it to be second place in the meta is, is pretty surprising. I know it's only five players, but still, that's, that's, that's a good number to think that, hey, even my team agreed this is the best chance we had in Modern. You know, with a decline in Solitude, maybe that's all you need. And also, it seems like uh, Rhinos is a bit on the downswing. Like, even with the five-color Rhinos, I feel like it's not quite as popular as it was maybe just even a few months ago. So that's another feather in its cap for metagame relevancy. After that, we've got 7% for people on Jeskai Breach. Oh, no, everyone it's coming. Jes everyone, everyone chose Jeskai. Oh, wait till you see the 5K oh, no. metagame. Meta everyone chose Jeskai. They wanted access to Teferi 3 and then various sideboard cards like Prismatic Ending, Draneth Magistrate, Wear Tear, etc., so there's definitely a coalesc coalescence coalescing around Jeskai here. Wow. And, yeah, and, but like you said, Dave, this is this is a better this is more than I, you know, we typically would see like two people on it, like the the real brave folks, but two out see, of like a hundred. Yeah. This is four out of fifty three, fifty seven. Yeah. Well, I think people are just kind of getting excited about all the results that the, this deck has been putting up in some of the more 
small competitive tournaments. Like I just keep hearing all these anecdotes about RCs all over the country and world being yeah. crushed by this deck. And I think there's still a little bit of um, appeal to maybe running like a powerful aggro combo strategy that the field is generally unprepared for. Yeah, it's just hard to be prepared for it. I mean, our friends over at Mishra's Babel and at Grindcast both had a decent amount of breach content their past episodes. So I encourage you to check both of those uh, podcasts out. Good people, good content. But it's they were speaking to how hard it is to try to hate this deck out because it attacks on so many different axes. And as we know, if a deck can be good at a lot of different things, like this deck is, then it's hard for you to bring in the exact sideboard hate that you might need. If you you can overdraw certain parts of it, like you have too many uh, artifact hate cards and you don't draw the other kind of hate that you might need. And so it's just like, it's just, it's just a bear to try to face down a, a deck as flexible as breaches, I think. Yeah, that Grindcap episode was interesting just because hearing Alan Swan, their guest, talk about how you can play a fair game and just beat down with Ragavans and other small creatures and just kind of like grind it out and eventually try to take over the game with Urza, or you can lean in on a combo strategy that plays attrition early and then wins in a single turn thanks to breach. It just sort of seems like... This is going to be one of those decks where it isn't necessarily about having specific hate cards. I think it's more about a paper, scissor, rock scenario again, where it might just be weak to certain strategies. And that is what potentially like helps shape the format around Breach if it becomes a bigger player, gets more metagame share. I think it's also a matter of practice. Like I think I think I remember Alan saying, like, you still gotta clock me. And that's like, you know, something we've come back to dozens of times is disruption without a clock is still not gonna beat a deck, especially one that can combo off like breach. So it's like how do you, it's probably pretty tempting to over sideboard where it's like, hey, I've got all these pieces that might make sense in against this breach opponent, but then I don't actually enact my own game plan. You know, someone like me, I've like, you know, I've literally never played against breach. So it's it's something where I just have to like go with my gut and I'd probably screw up. So I think it's one of those things where you know you probably want to if you're being serious about attending a tournament in modern, you know, practice uh, against you know friends on breach, you know, try to figure out some way to to practice against it, play it yourself. That's probably a good way to learn what to do, you know what I mean? You don't always have to have to go against someone else. Yeah, I don't want to dis- any, disappoint anybody, but we are we don't have breach content this week. I I have not taken up the mantle. No to mox amber emery anybody this time (laughs) you're Uh, the only one who owns mox ambers out of us i think yes we'll see what happens i knew they would be good someday yes you did you predicted this so we've got three copies or 5.2 percent of five color creativity is it murktide azorius hammer teamer rhinos although one was five color and the teamer builds were weird. Like they had some weird selections. And then three copies also of Rakdos, Scam, I mean Elementals, I mean Undying. So th- th- only three copies of it was at Murktide. I mean, and 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 Hammer. Like that mildly surprises me. I feel like Hammer has kind of come back to be one of the pre like preeminent decks, aggressive combo decks of the metagame. Uh, it does it doesn't surprise me that is it Murktide is down here because I think. You know, a lot of these teams is kind of like, I don't think this is the best deck 
in the room. Like this might be something that has flexibility, but I think I, if I'm trying to predict the metagame or want to play the most powerful deck that I can, I'm going to pick something like Yawgmoth or Breach. It almost looks to me like the Merktide players kind of split across control or Ragavan lines, whereas some of the people who are playing either Breach or Azorius could have been on Merktide a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Possible. Just because I feel like Merktide is one of those decks that maybe like helps scratch both of those itches a little bit, but people are perhaps calculating that going all in on control or all in on you know a Breach combo strategy is just a better bet for this event. Love it. Probably true. Thought we might see some more scam, but guess not. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, where's the scam? The, the, to me, this is actually like a very odd metagame. Oh, for sure. It is weird. 12.3% of the people on control is very odd. I mean, it's I, not I four color. If, I wonder if something about that has to do with the fact that this is a team tournament, too, mm-hmm. where you make certain calculations about who's going to play what deck and maybe how you attack this tournament as a team who wants to play the fast decks in which format who wants to play slower decks in which format to maybe help clean up the results of your other players if you need to or whatever yeah i think what's keep 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 your eye on these numbers versus the individual tournament numbers that we'll have in very just interesting a few minutes because yeah. there's there's there are some slight differences um we had a couple copies of things like four color elementals i I didn't really figure out how they categorized four color control. I'm sure there are some four color control people in here digging through the metagame was a little bit weird. They're still categorizing some auto categorizing some things like, you know, four color Yorian blink. And I'm like, there's no Yorian anymore. So forgive me if I missed a few copies here and there, but there wasn't anything obvious where that four color control was like a big meta player. We have a couple copies of burn white mono white hammer, uh, Rakdos mid-range. This was just mid-range. It's not scam. And then some wild one-ofs, like only one of Amulet Titan, Living End, and Grixis Death Shadow, and some other things, of course. But yeah, only only one team was confident enough to be like, hey, Amulet Titan's the best deck for us, or Living End. And I feel like Living End has been popular at NRG tournaments. I don't exactly know why Living End is maybe con- considered on the downswing. I feel like it has some strong matchups against you know many decks that i would expect to play you know expect to play in this meta so i don't really know i wonder if it has something to do with the rise of azorius and Merktide in general just like a counterspell yeah. decks period being maybe a big to fairy three decks yeah 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 that too all right so let's get into this top eight and forgive me because i'm going to use people's last names which is kind of how nrg build them and i don't know everyone's first name here Dave probably knows a bunch of them because he seems like he always knows everyone's name in the in the NRG circuit. But first seed coming out of the Swiss, uh, I know this is Bill Caminos. I don't know who Johnson is, and I believe it's Randy Bedell. Rod- Rodney Bedell. Rodney Bedell, thank you. Yep. Elves, Yogmoth, Mono Green Ramp. Second place. These people like elves. <laughs> These <laughs> people all like elves. Surprise. These are all elf decks, kind of. Yeah, you're right. They are kind yeah. of, yeah. They do all have some kind of mana dorks. Second place, we've got Murphy, Bauerschmidt, Sweeney, and Keen uh, on Grixis Doomsday, Jeskai Breach, and Bant Spirits. Third place, we have Vu Fields, Wolthius, Wolthuis, uh, Mono Red Painter, Racto Scam, there's our Scam, and Mono Green Ramp. 
Fourth place, Davis Branham Myers on Doomsday. Selesnia Helia. I saw that on the list a minute ago, and I was like, what? That was also a, that was a one of in Modern. And Azorius Control in Pioneer. Fifth place, Valentine McKinley McCurry, Death and Taxes, Teamer Scapeshift, and Mono Green Ramp. Sixth place, Endris Hatch Fong, Four Color Control, Azorius Hammer, Mono Green Ramp. Ugh. Seventh place, Espinoza, Suleiman, Zach, it's, uh, yeah, Raja Suleiman, Zach Allen, and Evan, Ivan Espinoza. Four Color Control, Azorius Control, featuring Kahira, and Rakdos Sacrifice. Eighth place, Delgado, Solomon, Fino on Doomsday, Five Color Creativity, and Mono Green. Wow. Okay. So, to help you tally this, our Pioneer Top 8, five Mono Green decks, one Rakdos Sack, one Band Spirits, one Azorius Control. No Rakdos Midrange. Even though it was twenty two point eight percent of the medals. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Mono green. I played against Mono Green because I, I played Pioneer, spoilers, uh, this week for some deck testing. And I was reminded that Mono Green just does absurd things, whether it's just, you know, stop you in your tracks until it can solidify behind uh, Karn or combo off at one life and you have nothing you can do about it. Amazing. You could scoop. <laughs> I did. Yeah. It was it was fast. What I mean, like it was one of those things where this this player clearly knew what they were doing with Mono Green, which I appreciated because the match was fast. But they did the two Carns to um, Cora, yeah, or not Cora, Kiora, Kiora, Kiora. Yes, so they had, you know they did the two Kiora, two Karn, uh, yeah. Cauldron thing, and I was like, well, once this happens, I know to scoop. So, but they yes. they put that together pretty efficiently. I was impressed. Yeah. But yeah, the deck's incredibly good. It had a really big win rate. I didn't, um, you know, with six, 61% on the weekend. Again, that's, of course, skewed a little bit, but still very impressive run for five mono green decks in this paper top eight. Again, it's team, but still pretty convincing. And but our modern top eight was eight different decks. Yogmoth, Is It Breach, Azorius Hammer, Azorius Control, featuring Kira, Scam, Selesnia Heliod, Teamer Scapeshift, and Five Color creativity so showing the the lovely breadth and depth of the modern metagame this for the record is why i prefer modern to pioneer like just the, just, just, just variety of decks yeah just, just like this is the perfect example of the what i really struggle with when i decide to play pioneer i just kind of feel like there's very little uncertainty about what i'm going to play against and how decks or how games are even going to play out it's just it's so much mono green out there in particular only a handful of other options such that it kind of just feels like it's a standard format. And then when I do play against mono green, just like the games always go the same way for the mono green player. There isn't a lot of like ways to outplay outwit and outlast. I've been watching survivor lately. Stan, by the way, <laughs> first, yeah, first time, that. first time Whereas, survivor. Yeah. I've, I've never watched it. Is it good? Yeah, it's not bad. It's really good. Yeah. I know some hardcore fans like Stanislav and my buddy Simon. Shout out to Simon just listening to this podcast. But but anyway, enough yeah. about me. Let's talk about the people who won. Because the winning team, pretty interesting group. It was uh, Ivan Espinosa, Raja Suleiman, and Zach Allen, well-known grinders on the Energy series, all of them. And uh, all of them from from Michigan. I think they're all kind of from the Zach, Zach Allen kind of 
hometown teams. And uh, yeah, so they took it down with Four Color Control and Legacy, Azorius Control featuring Kahira and Modern, Rakdos Sacrifice and Pioneer. I don't know, just as a reminder, I'm not going to talk about the Legacy list, but of course I want to look and see how many Minskin Boos there are in the Legacy list. There's three, if you're curious about that particular thing. But this Azorius Control list is pretty it's pretty down the middle. Like I was expecting a little bit more spice and it's really just, Oh no, it's Azorius control featuring. Yeah. Here. Yeah. It's Azorius control. It's got Leyline binding, but you know, you've got Jace, the mind sculptor and four Teferi time raveler two to Teferi hero of Dominaria, two subtlety, four solitude main four counter spell four archmage charm, one memory deluge four prismatic ending one Supreme verdict and two chalice of the void main. There's eight white removal spells in here between Prismatic Ending and Leyline Binding and Solitude. So I guess there's 12. Any March of the Multitudes in there? I don't think so, right? There's, you mean March of Otherworldly Light? There are yes. two of those in the sideboard. Okay. Yeah, March of the Multitudes is a Selesnia token card. So it yeah. would not be that. Yeah. So lots of powerful spells, but it's sort of like the most redundant set of Swords to Plowshares and counter spells and plain walkers, <laughs> and that's that's what this particular list is. This is this is what like what Zach lives for. I think be having Azorius control back on the menu for like him to be like this is the control. This is the best control deck probably for me to take to the tournament. I'm sure he's grinning ear to ear. Yeah, these three decks feel like good player decks to me. Like Rakdos Sacrifice is is finicky and a lot of triggers and a lot of like maximizing small points of value and you know four color control legacy I'm sure is is a hard deck to play because I can't play anything in legacy and we know Azorius Control you have to maximize every piece of cardboard you have and I'm sure Zach is Zach is definitely experienced at doing so so this is like you know I'm sure three very good players taking some decks that allow people to maximize their skill level. Yeah. And then also, it's interesting to note, you know, I mean, Zach, you know, getting, I mean, there's more to talk about with Zach later in the other event, but, you know, he kind of, this is the first event of this season for Energy, season three, and coming out of the gates strong to kind of get back into contention for a bid to the Invitational. And you know what? I'm going to root for him. He's on our friend list. Of the, friend of the show. He's on our, our FOTS list. Yeah. Multiple guest host, right? Yeah, he's been on twice now. So any overall thoughts on this, this, this tournament that we haven't already said? Good. Because I don't, I don't love it. I have one thought. I can't decide how relevant Chalice of the Void still is in modern if we're seeing fewer Living End and, and other Cascade decks in general. Is it just a good thing to play on one if you're on the play? Yeah, I mean, still good on one, right? And you can sideboard them out. Yeah, where you just sideboard them out. I mean, it hoses anybody who's trying to cast a loop. And I think that that includes Breach, for yeah. example. I believe that they're trying to cast zero spells over and over again. Yeah, yeah, because they, they cast like bo bobbles and ambers. Yeah. So yeah, that's good there too. I do want to say we have a new patron alert joined during the episode. Whoa! <laughs> this, this rarely happens. Brandon G gets the mid-episode shout-out. Thank you for joining the Dive Down Nation. What up, Brandon? <laughs> Brandon G. <laughs> Awooga. Awooga. Wow. This is why people need to join the, during during the episode. It's Monday, Monday evening join. Okay. It's a huge, uh, huge celebration every time here at Dive Down Central. Stan, I could hear you all the way through the wall. Can we talk for a second? This is not, this is not back channeled. The listeners need to know. So I'm at Dave's house. Awooga, Dave's house. And I just happened to notice behind my laptop, there's a stack of 
uh, top loaders with cards. And I'm like, oh, maybe there's some magic cards I can look at. These aren't magic cards. <laughs> no, they're this not. Is, this is a Japanese Darth Vader Star Wars card. Oh, foil. those ones. Yeah. Foil, foil. There, there's a few magic cards here, including uh, an uncard called Ass Whoopin. Yeah. Don't bleep that. It's the name of the card. And now here, here are the, the real surprise for me. We got a bunch of Lord of the Rings cards with Vigo. We got Vigo on an Aragorn card. Mm-hmm. We we got a and and a foil Faramir. Oh, th- those aren't prelims of the the crossover, the secret layer. Whatever they are not. Be. These are from the Lord of the Rings game from maybe ten or fifteen years ago that I think was designed by uh, Decipher. I think it was Decipher game. It is. Yeah. But yeah, you know what that stack of cards is? That's a stack of cards. Those are promos that my dad got from the store when the store was still around maybe like i said 15 years ago or so and i i keep running across them when i'm trying to find stuff to buy a list and i literally don't know what to do with any of these cards so if anybody worthless no i think i think that darth vader is worth a couple hundred bucks but if you know what to do with a foil japanese darth vader from decipher's star wars game dm me i'd love to i'd love i need some advice yeah, or a foil Aowen Lady of Rohan. Yeah, well, I'm keeping the Aowen. Come on, is that is that is that is that live? No, that's He's a not companion. Live. No, it's not live. Cre- no, it's that's the that's the blonde lady. Azorius Control featuring Aowen, Cre- creature type companion man. Well, she famously she is no man though. Yes, that's right. I I understand. Wow, true heads. Can we get, can we get to this top eight of? Are we only doing the? T- we're not doing the top eight. Let's do the whole thing. I, yeah, I we're think, doing that. I, I I jumped ahead. Let's do it. I think you did the whole tournament. Reward yourself. Well, I just, I mean, I just, this, that was just a mistake because I skipped part of the notes. We have our Sunday Modern 5K, 102 players, seven rounds. Here's our meta, my friends. 10.8% Merktide. The Merktide people could not be held back. All of their teammates were like, no, you can't play Merktide. And they're like, when I'm on my own, I get to play Merktide and I get to have a 43.75% win rate. I immediately feel like balance has returned. To, to modern <laughs> right here. I'm like, oh, that was weird. All that Azorius control. Yuck. Okay. Merktide with sub 50%. We're back. 43.75. Worse than usual, even for Merktide. Um, I mean, I hope you had fun. Maybe, you know, maybe you had fun playing Merktide. Maybe you did well with Merktide and a lot of people did poorly, but you know, you got to play it now when you're on your lonesome. 9.8% Azorius Hammer with a 48% win rate, uh, 9.8% Jeskai Breach with a 51% win rate. So this is where, Dave, you kind of hinted, you're like, oh, Jeskai Breach is real now. Now this is where I'm like, okay, nearly 10% of the, the singleton meta is Jeskai Breach players. This is not just a curiosity. This is not just a few people being like, I feel brave enough to run Jeskai Breach. This is like 10 people out of 102. I, I hate to tell you, it's been real for a long time. I just think that the cards aren't the easiest thing to find, some of them. And also, maybe people were waiting before they paid $30 a piece for grinding stations to see if they, they wanted to actually do it. But it's holding on. And I would be surprised if these were all legit Jeskai. Are they all Jeskai? I did been, not dive into that. They're tagged at Jeskai Breach. There's just been a lot of different, as we talked about last week, a lot of different lists lately with Gruel and Jeskai and Pure Is It and Teamer. So there's a lot of stuff going on there as well. But yeah, I mean, Breach is real. Breach is real. It's going to be here for a while, I think. Exactly. We have fourth most popular deck, 8.8% Azorius Control featuring Kahira with a 48% win rate. So mm-hmm. not quite as good 
as our friends in the top eight of the modern team tournament, but still, you know, about a 50% win rate for Zorius Control. It's also the most popular control deck in the room. We've got 8.8% also of Yawgmoth with a 56.6% win rate doing Yawgmoth things. Again, Yawgmoth is always represented at these NRG tournaments as seeing nearly 9% of the people show up with it. And so it's a real, real Yawg meta over there. And back to your plus 55% win rate, which is more normal for Yawgmoth than we've seen lately. Yeah. This is this is it's the time. If you ever if you've thought about playing Yawgmoth, I think this is probably the time to finally learn it. Shane. Shane beeps learn today is Yawgmoth. The, the first day of the rest of your Yawgmoth. Yeah, that's what they always say. Seven point eight percent. We've got four color control in so that's eight copies. We have six copies featuring Kahira and two without. A, mm-hmm. So this was interesting. So I told up all the four color control. They, they, it's it's interesting that in the metagame tallying, they didn't really categorize four color control. So I manually did it. Sixty four point eight percent win rate. <whistles> Holy mm-hmm. smokes! Remember when four we color said control last week? What the what best? Did we say, uh, Dave? No, I was just gonna say last week that I thought the best. Uh, what was it? Where we were like, oh, the best run in six deck was gonna continue to be this deck. And I think it maybe it is. We'll see. Yes. Yeah, it's an impressive yes. win rate. Um, people killed with four color control in the Sunday Modern 5K. After that, we get to 5% five color creativity with a mere 46.5% win rate. We've got 4% four color elementals, most of which had Kikira. <laughs> Interestingly, the 23rd place deck was John Teg Lorini had a 77-card main deck. I don't really know. I don't know why John had a 77-card main deck, but it did not do well overall. The the people on 4-Color Elementals had kind of a low 40-ish percent win rate. About 3% Reacto Scam, 47%. 3% Living End, 55%. And then we had about 30% of the decks in the other category with below 2% representation. So we did see Living End pop back up a little bit. We had, I think, there's probably three or four players on Living End, three or four players on Rakdos Scam. So, you know, slightly more than in the team tournaments, but not as many Rakdos Scam players as I thought might come out of the woodwork, or Living End players, for that matter. It's a real control meta out there right now. (sighs) From the look of Ohio. I mean, yeah, Ohio, well-known control meta. I mean, if you look at this, it's like, okay, we got four-color control, we got Azorius control, we got Murktide, which is Murktide. not really control, but kind of control-ish sometimes. And so it's a lot of people casting counter spells. Yeah. Our only really aggressively slanted deck is like Azorius Hammer. And of course, like decks like Yogmoth and Breach and Murktide have some creature aspects to their game plan, but it's not kind of, I don't wouldn't call it maybe the, the main aspect. So it's kind of wild to see like that creature beatdown is is so out of the meta here in ohio yeah yeah i mean interesting what do you think stan cheap cheap cheap, cheap. no, no, no comment I mean, right now yeah all right let's get into this top eight really fast we've got dominic vitello on yog stock list uh raja suleiman on azorius control featuring kahira yes this is the same Ra, uh, raja who won yesterday we've got 
Justin Brickman on four color control feature in Kira. This is kind of, I guess, what I would call a stock list. I don't know if a stock list exists, but it, you know, nothing really weird looking here. We've got Will Kruger on Azorius Hammer. Surprise. Uh, the most interesting thing I noticed here is there's no the reality chip in his list. Blue was only for Spell Pierce main and then some sideboard card options. Core Outfitter is making an appearance as a one of a card I've always liked playing in Azorius Hammer, but don't take my word for it. We've got fifth place Zach Allen on four-color control featuring Kihira. Yes, mm-hmm. Zach Allen, who won yesterday, also makes top eight with his former teammate, uh, Suleiman. Sixth place, George Jabor on four-color control featuring Kihira. This has the Narset Days Undoing thing going on on the list as well. We've got Stephen Dickman on Grixis Death Shadow featuring Yagatha. This is a stock of list, as I would consider it. And then Andrew Ellenbogen in eighth on Jeskai Breach. Uh, he's using Thassa's Oracle, not Grape Shot. Um, he has a Singleton Teferi 3 main. Otherwise, the white seems to be reserved for some sideboard cards like uh, Engineered Explosives, if you want some more color pips on that for your Sunburst, Wear Terror, Dranath Magistrate, some two Celestial Purges, and oh, some yeah. Prismatic huh. Endings as well. There's a blast. So there's a sideboard blast from the past in Celestial exactly. Purge. So if you're counting, that's five decks that are still running Companions in the top eight. Why not? Alright, we need I to mean, talk about this for a minute. Okay, do it. I'm not going to stop you. Zach Allen's, Zach Allen's list. I'm not mad. Zach Allen's list is just his list from the day before with four Ren and six in it. <laughs> I, I really miss okay. Ren and six, so I thought I'd add four. So Zach Allen's list from from the day. I, I'm not sure what he took out. Like he took out a main deck subtlety. He took out another. Like is our oh, Jason Teferi still in there? Oh, it's four. Teferi Time Reveler, four Ren and six, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, two Teferi Hero of Dominaria, four Solitude, one Subtlety, four Prismatic Ending, four Counterspell, four Archmage's Charm, two Chalice of the Void, four Leyline Binding, two Dress Down, and 23 lands. So it is just, this is, there's like this, so we're, we're trying to figure out right now what the best control deck really is, I think, at this point in time. So some people are sticking very close to their four-color Maybe, maybe you're trying to figure that out. I'm trying well, to avoid it. I'm trying to avoid it. <laughs> you know, if you look at, like, Justin Brickman's list that you mentioned was really stock for four-color control, I think it's stock for what four-color color control was before, right? But this one has Lightning Bolt in it. It's got Expressive Iteration in it. Key, of course, it has Omnath in it. Zach's deck is very different. It's more controlling. It's more, really more like blue-white control. And so is George DeBoer's. It's really just mm-hmm. blue-white control with four Ren and Six shoved into the deck as well with the Days Undoing Narset combo as well. So lots of people trying lots of different things with four-color slash two-color slash whatever control. And we'll have more to talk about with that later. But it's worth pointing out uh, just Zach really staying close to what he's really good at. And also, not only did he make the top eight of this, he made the finals of this tournament, and he scooped to Stephen Dickman because there was an RC qualification on the line. And Zach qualified for the RC the day before, thanks to the team finals, so he scooped to Stephen so that Stephen could have the, could have the qual, basically. Did they play it out, or they just, just like, we're tired, let's go home? I, think, I don't think they played it out, yeah. Grow the game is what we're talking about here. But yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, so, so that's awesome. Congratulations to Steven for making it to the finals uh, against friend of the show, Zach Allen. And Zach Allen, who had another monster weekend. Yeah, what As a, far what as leaderboard weekend. points must have gone, because it's like, I, I think it's probably, I think a finals, you know, we're, we're probably talking about another 60-point weekend or something like that on the energy 
point rankings. What a man, imagine going to an energy tournament on like a weekend where it's like, you know, Jesse or Zach or like Raja or Will Kruger or like, you know, all, all the Stone Cold, Andrew Ellen Bogan, just the people that you do not want to play. You know, I'm forgetting plenty of names that I would not want to play in any of these tournaments. So forgive me. But man, it's just another testament to the the amazing players of the Midwest and the people who are taking the time to really invest in the NRG paper series. So congratulations to all y'all. Grixis Death Shadow does win or, you know, makes the finals. Is there anything that, you know, like, like I said, I think that, you know, Dickman is a known shadow player, correct? So it's like, I take a win from that with a grain of salt because I think Death Shadow is a really tough deck to play quite well. But, you know, is there anything appealing about Death Shadow to you all where it's like, I mean, Dave, I know for sure, you know, you've enjoyed it in the past, but like, have you thought about revisiting it where it's just like, hey, I want to cast a million one mana spells? No. Okay. No, I haven't thought about playing it really since um, since we went to SCG Con in Dallas earlier this year. I, I if I was going to go down that route, I would rather stick with something simpler like Murktide if I was going to do it. So, yeah, I kind of think the appeal of Shadow is having a deck that can either turn one Ragavan or turn one Thoughtseize, depending on which you think is better in a given matchup. That can have you know, bigger cheap threats thanks to the Death Shadow itself that can play like Terminate on a counter spell when it needs to, or just plain Terminate if it really, really wants to. Plus Dress Down, like being able to play Dress Down pro- proactively and reactively at the same time, especially against a field that we're seeing is still full of elementals. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why you'd consider it over something like Murktide, which is, in my mind, its closest companion in the in the format right now. Yep. Yep. Interesting that the top eight here are less diverse than the top eight from the team's tournament, but that's just variance, I think, as far as like what decks did well. I mean, we just there's a lot of really good control players who hang out at this tournament series, and this is what they do. All of all the people in the top eight that played control, uh, Justin, Raja, Zach Allen, and George Jabour. I'm not as familiar with Justin Brickman, but the other three of those players are extremely consistent and well-known control players. Do you all feel and this is not this is not like a, a banning thing. This is not like you know, it, do you feel that something like Kahira is something that you are not happy is still around? Let's let's get into that. Like you know, is it still adding like too many percentage points to control decks to give them you know free pitch fodder or even like a something that bumps you know bumps up their elementals late in the game or something like that? Dave, I mean Kahira specifically, I don't really care, but I think that it's the same problem that we're we're going to have i mean we can i don't know if we want to talk about like other things going on now but the one that not worries me but the one that just makes me kind of chuckle to myself is the fact that people are starting to play karuga as well in decks that are very close to this where they're playing you know they're playing all the over three cmc spells yeah they're permanents too permanents i mean and they're you know they're playing fable and they're playing the uh o-ring that costs three that does ephemerate from I forget fire they're, ice they're playing too. fire ice but they're playing Leyline like binding yeah but they're playing they're even playing that really bad spell from yes it's not good you know what I'm talking about this <laughs> touch this, touch the spirit realm yes they're playing that card so that they can have like a really expensive ephemerate effect for their stuff but also have an O ring if they need it just so they can draw cards with Kahira and it's like okay uh, so this card now not Kahira Karuga yeah. Karuga yeah okay now this card is coming in too so we'll we'll see. 
We'll see. I'm I'm probably gonna end up getting proven wrong on this, but I actually think the Karuga deck is a is a meme. I don't see that sticking around, and for a very very specific reason, I just don't see how playing a like a four color control deck that can't run Ren and Six is going to be better than the decks that can run Ren and Six. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. But uh, does draw cards not, though. Does draw cards. Sh- yeah, I guess. But like your early game, where like you can develop with the strongest planeswalker in the format, is is I think significantly worse. And as Dave kind of pointed out, the other four color decks can also play things like Lightning Bolt and Expressive Iteration and cheap linear interaction that's always good. Even Prismatic Ending, like just like one of the best removal spells ever printed in the format. Right. So I, I, I think the fact that Karuga is good has less to do with, um, is it called Karuga? The yeah, Karuga, yeah. It's yeah. a macro yeah. sage. The macro sage, yeah. The fact that this macro sage deck is like seeing some results online, I think, isn't necessarily to do with the companion so much as that they're still playing a bunch of like good free pitch spells that can like steal games. And Karuga is just like a little cherry on top. Yeah. When we play in real life, you're going to lose to oops all macro sages and you're going to know what hits you. So. And, and it's hard like, to not. It's hard to miss what hits you when it's a macro sage. It's a dinosaur hippo. So, I I will gladly eat my hat if if that proves true. And to answer your question, ultimately, Shane, like it, the Kahira stuff doesn't bother me as much. And I think part of that's just because like the remaining companions don't generate the same type of value and gameplay patterns that Luris and Yorian did. And I think that was the problem with those cards, which is sort of the patterns that they created in so many games being at the top of the format i mean that's the ostensible problem is that I mean, that's, that's the real deal problem right is like you know if someone reveals luris that you have to deal with luris at some point if someone reveals yorian you know you have to re- deal with the value and creature that yorian presents at some point i do feel like kahira is still like an eventuality right where it's like this is going to be some kind of value to my opponent because it's always available but Again, at some point, I, I really feel like what Watsi is trying to do is let's just hammer down the ones that are problematic in terms of their power level or play patterns, and let's let Companion be what we designed it to be, right? Which is a deck restriction, if you want to call it that, for some of them. Like Gigantha and Kahira have slightly minimal deck building restrictions, right? But you know, something like Karuga, of course, is pretty significant and funny. Karuga likes hats. It'll get your hat. Hilarious. I almost feel like they've already had three strikes. They changed yes. the companion rule. This is my Lourdes, issue. It's like three strikes. You get one more chance. If they have to ban Kahira or Karuga or Gairuda or Lutri, <laughs> like at that point, just like admit the mistake and just yeah. get them out of here instead of just like chipping yep. away at them one at a time and, and trying to beat around the bush that this this experiment was a failure. I, I do want to note that we are not saying that should happen. But, but if, I am not. If, if, it, if it does happen, if it does happen again, where they're like, we need to get rid of Kahira now, it's just like, yeah, like stop playing whack-a-mole and just deal with Seriously. it. Seriously. All right. Yeah, but but to echo Shane, like, I'm, I don't want any of these cards banned. I, I love them. I love them. I don't know I think, I, I, think I think my thoughts here are already well known. Yeah. I don't, I don't is, love them. They should they should go away. But we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna dither about it. No no equivocation, no dithering. 
uh, <laughs> we have we. <laughs> This this is this is it's it's risky. Kahira, Kahira, risky or not? <laughs> risky. Yeah. Dave, can we make a pin that just says no equivocation? I think that's stealing from another podcast. That, stealing from another podcast. That's stealing yes. from risky oh, or not? I, yeah. Oh, I, I didn't I didn't know the the reference. So you should joke between other the other old guy Dave and me. Yeah. Hey, if you want to listen to a TV show about food safety, check out Risky or, <laughs> Risky or Not podcast. It's not a TV show; it's, it's a podcast. It's it's a great <laughs> podcast. It's one of my favorites. It's Risky so, it's or so not? Compact. It's so compact. It's fifteen minute episodes where someone sends in a question, and hey, I got a question on there the other day about it. You cooking, did. It was great cooking chicken in a coffee pot. Yeah. What do they say? Risky. Risky. Doesn't get hot enough. Yeah. If you want to cook enough. some chicken, wait for us. And the on the other side. With uh, the dive down segment, we'll be coming right up after this quick break. Stay with us. All right, we are back. And uh, as I'm doing all the hosting duties, because I'm just letting San have a little vacation this week. Sir, I, I moved boxes. You did move boxes. We're going to have a quick little dive down. We wanted to, you know, folk, we've had a couple long episodes, if you haven't noticed, in a row. And we keep saying we want to have shorter episodes, and it's already an hour in this one, probably after editing. So, what we have for you is just some more decks, stuff we've been, we've been playing some magic this week for a change. Um, and we all have some stuff to talk about, experimentations in modern and weirdly pioneer, going back to that old well where I try to like see if I still like Pioneer for some reason. So, Stanislav, we've got you doing some modern things. What have you been doing, my friend? All right, so I played three leagues, three decks. I will talk about two of them very briefly, unless you guys have specific questions, and I encourage those questions if you have them. Um, and then one deck that I want to talk about in a wee bit more detail, where I think Dave specifically warned me that he has questions, but I don't know what they are. The quick ones, I played Five Color Domain, uh, a deck that I have been really itching to try. I was kind of hyped about it on last week's episode. This is the aggro deck that plays 20 creatures, four of Ragavan, Wild Nicotle, Nishoba Brawler, Territorial Kavu, Sign of Draco, and then to round it out with a little bit of interaction, it's got four Tribal Flames, Stubborn Denial, Lightning Bolts, and Leyline Binding. And then three to Fairy Time Rambler for reasons. And it gets to run Gigantha too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, to Fairy Time Rambler, I actually think is like bad in this deck, but maybe I'm incorrect. Um, I wasn't super impressed with this deck. I, I went 1 4 in my league. I actually won the first match 2 0 against Jeskai Breach. And I was like, oh, this deck must be fantastic. It beat Breach. That's one of the up-and-comers. And then I just got crushed by everything else. I, I, I just ended up feeling like most of the creatures didn't do anything. And them only being big, cheap bodies wasn't enough in the format when they're being outclassed by bodies that hit the battlefield and generate value or remove them. Or even worse, just like removal spells that trade one for one, and I don't really get any like potential additional value in that exchange. Wild Nakadal in particular, just horrible, horrible. Yeah, this is not a modern power level card. Wild Nakadal has been terrible for five years, six years. There's That's been, why it should yeah. stay on the banned list. Like, <laughs> keep us from playing this card, wizard. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. I did feel though that one of my favorite cards to draw in this deck was territorial kavu 
that was like kind of the, the surprise for me as this two mana five five that rummages when it attacks. I thought was like amazing in an aggro deck where I kind of just wanted to keep drawing into gas or or any action. So you like the modern Horizons two card surprise? Surprise. Weird. Yes. Yes. Neshoba Brawler was just kind of whatever. It being three toughness, I thought was annoying. Um, but attacking for five with Trample was was kind of cool, I guess. And it being just one in a green made it one of the more castable cards in the deck, too. So I feel like the appeal to this deck is, I mean, beyond the creature suite, is getting to be able to play Tribal Flames and Leyline Binding. And how were those yes. for you? I mean, Leyline Binding is, you, you know how that card is. Yeah, it's, like, it's a good card. What you see is what you get. Tribal Flames was interesting because sometimes you have to use it as a removal spell, like to kill a Tarmogoyf or other big beefers. And I hated doing that because it's also one of the best kill spells just to close out games. But if you know you don't use it on a big body, that body will kill you before you can stabilize. Um, so... I really love the games where I drew the time the the tribal flames in time to kill my opponent, and then I hated the games where it was the only board based interaction that I drew, and that I couldn't like generate the type of aggressive velocity that I wanted with a deck like this. You know, if I had tribal flames plus Leyliner, that plus Bolt, I would just like hold the tribal flames until I can like hopefully chip away and then and then seal the deal. But that was never the case. Yeah, that's too bad. I mean, this so, is like I, all my fears about this deck kind of came to life, you know, with people trying it out and being like, oh, it's really cool. Like, I I was kind of like, I just feel like I want this to be good, but these creatures can't be good, can they? And it turns out, yeah, kind of yeah, not. Yeah, I, I really wanted it to be good, too. Like, I think Sign of Draco is a super cool card. Um, I thought Ragavan plus Tribal Flames plus the Limb Binding was just kind of like enough. Maybe there's a different consider- configuration you can do. Like, I, I would personally cut to Fairy and either find a room yeah, for Renin 6. Weird. Fairy seems weird. Either find room for Renin 6 or just like Expressive Iteration. Just something else that's cheap that helps you maintain some kind of card engine, resource engine more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I hate to tell say I told you so, but I kind of did. I don't think this deck looked good. I mean, but, but you know what's good is you at tried, least we it. tried it. At least we tried it. At least we tried it. This, this is this is a the the we tried segment. We had a whole we tried episode. This is the we tried segment. Can, can we be clear? I, I'm still going to try this deck. I don't. I mean, I'm still going to try it out. Like, why not? Yeah, so, I mean, it still looks like it could be fun, but take I'll half see. an hour of your time, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it is a quick league, and maybe you could find replacements for Wild Nicotle, like. Maybe Goyf, maybe Dragon Rage Channeler, maybe there's something else I'm overlooking. It's just like this, even when it's a one mana three three, it's just the worst, what worst is this? card in the league. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's it's leaning a little bit too hard into like the domain shenanigans where it's like, well, if we're doing this, I might as well do Wild in the Cattle. And it's like, well, maybe right. you shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was that deck. Let's never speak of it again, or at least until Dave plays it, or it wins a tournament that we have to cover. The next deck I tried, another little bit of a curveball for Stan. I really wanted to see what the Soul of Windgrace hype was about, so I did a Jund League. Mm. You guys remember Jund? You got to play Gigantha again in this yeah. one. Gigantha decks. Yeah. Um, Jund, it's a shard of Alara, red, green, black. And this is like a mid-range deck. We should really break it down card by card, but we'll save that for another episode. Only 10 creatures in the one I played 
four Ragavan, four Tarmogoyf, and the two Soul of Windgrace, plus, of course, the four Ren and Six, and then just, like, twos, threes, and, and all of your interactions, like, twos and threes, plus it does have the four Thoughtseize, of course. Some Fable of the Mirror Breaker, actually, and this is an Ursa Saga deck. I, I did a little bit better in this league. I went two, three. Ooh. I got the fifth the 50 pp you know the problem with this deck for me was twofold one was the grindy jund plan didn't feel like it was at the power level of the rules of engagement that the format sets i just didn't think that jund could necessarily like play the attrition game it is trying to play ultimately where you're one for wanting more than anything with the exception of something like Ren and Six, which can generate card advantage, but not in a way that impacts the board. I mean, I guess like you can take it down, kill something, and then start taking it up. But once you start taking Ren and Six down, like generally that means I think it's not long for the world. And then the other cards that do generate card advantage, something like K Command, Riveteer's Charm, maybe Fable of the Mirror Breaker, they're not necessarily in, in my league they weren't fast enough or aggressive enough or, or impacting the board in the most meaningful ways. So part of the problem too, is that I don't have a ton of junk experience. So I think maybe with a little bit more reps and a better sideboard plan, I can figure out like exactly my role in the matchup and, and how to evaluate my 24 non-creature spells and which matchups I want to lean in on what and how to sideboard those pieces specifically. But this this kind of just like felt like hard mode and not <laughs> and and not in the way where I felt like oh man some of these cards like these Inquisition of the Causalex and Fatal Pushers are so powerful I just need to get better with them they're just like not necessarily the level of interaction I want yeah what well what about Soul of Wind Grace I'm I'm glad you asked so Soul is really great if it, if you can untap with it I well, I, a four, I will a four give mana it, card you need to untap with can be good. Yeah, I mean, so when it does enter the battlefield or attacks, ETB specifically, you may put a land from your graveyard onto the battlefield tapped under your control. So you are going to have lands in your graveyard often. Even if you have Ren and Six on the board, like it's not that hard to get multiple fetches in there. And sometimes if you have Ren and Six, there are a couple instances where I just ended up with eight cards in hand and I would just have to pitch extra lands. Soul of Windgrace sort of helps you convert your resources and even play with your Renin Six to turn those extra lands into things like life cards or like protection for soul. But you know, I never felt like using that third mode, the, the yeah. tuna black discard it's a land that's indestructible, tap it. But um one in a red discard a land draw card, like that was the most appealing mode. The problem is it's so mana hungry that I didn't necessarily think that the deck was set up to culminate in a soul of wind grace turn the way four color your index used to be all about establishing a board that you can then culminate into a big yorian turn exactly if, if that makes sense and and i think that's sort of like the position i was trying to play toward and i didn't necessarily feel like the deck was designed to do that effectively maybe there's a different configura- configuration you could find though and whether soul is a part of that remains to be seen the four Ren and Six plus four Urza Saga, like, and, and four Ragaman, of course, is such a powerful core, though, yeah. that, I, I, like, I'm not writing off Junt per se. I just think that 
the deck may need to be polished a little bit and needs to know exactly its role in the metagame and how to play like against a specific field to to be as powerful as it could be. I've got an idea for some changes to this. Like let's do four Ragavan, four Goif, four Dark Confidant, four Liliana of the Veil, four Bloodbraid Elf. Do I see where this is going? See this this is just all Two for ones. This is just all value, my friend. Maybe like three Thoughtseize, three Inquisition, four Bolts. Uh, you know, and then you just keep clearing, terminate, keep clearing the way. Attack with your creatures, and then, you know, win that way. Why not? You get the card advantage from Bob. I mean, come on. So you're cutting Ren and Six. Uh, what's Ren and Six? Is this? I thought this was 2014. No, Shane. It's it's almost 2023. What? You, also, you mentioned Ragavan in your theory crafting. <laughs> Don't mess with my bit. <laughs> by, by the way, Riveteer's Charm, that was an interesting card. Th- that's the one I guess I didn't mention. The fact that it's both a removal spell or a card draw at instant speed, I thought is is really neat. I never felt the need to exile targeted player's graveyard. Three mana to do that feels a little slow in the matchups where it's most necessary, but you know, I, I could see a situation where against Murktide, you can do that in the nick of time. Or you do it turn two off, or yeah, turn two off of rivet off of Ragavan. Yeah, but you would have to hope that they've built up their graveyard enough to for that to be worth it. But just the instant speed exile top three cards of your library, and then until end until your next end step, you may play those cards. I thought was like one of the coolest additions to this deck. So Riveteer's Charm, uh, that's a belief. Let's really get into it now, guys. With this oh, third oh, deck, oh, I played. You, you haven't been getting into it. No, I, th- that was not getting into oh, it. Man. We're about to get into it. My my third, final, and and most successful, and dare I say favorite league, four color Omnath featuring Kahira. I'm, I'm going to be silent through the through this so that we don't I don't take up extra time. Yeah, that's a good idea. So I mentioned I went one four in my first league, two three in my second league. This last league I got that nice four one. And what a 4-1 it was. Three, I'm sorry, four of those five matches, the four matches I won, I didn't lose a game. It was, and and my first match, the one that I did lose was to Belcher, which I believe is a known bad matchup for four-color Omnath decks. Like, I think one of the reasons why Belcher used to be pretty popular was because it could beat up on Yorian. Um, So just my luck, I got paired against it right away. The rest of the decks, like, I beat Yawgmoth, I beat... The mirror, pro- probably something else that was good that's es- escaping me right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I-, I I love this deck. This was the controlling version. Ten creatures, four Omnath, four Solitude, two Fury. It had four Teferi, four Ren and Six, four Leyline, four Expressive Iteration, four Counterspell, four Prismatic Ending, and two Lightning Bolt with twenty four lands. I-, I I had so much fun playing this deck. I can't wait to play it again. I'm going to get the one-off Zagoth Triumph so that I can play this in paper. It's, we're doing it. We're, we're going. You have everything else for this deck already? Oh, you know what? I, I'm only missing the two Hallowed Moonlight. Oh. Um, other than the Zagoth Triumph. But I think I can find a couple Hallowed Moonlight. I think you'll be fine on that. Look, we talked about this deck a lot 
already. There were there was one copy that was very close to this in the top eight of that of that Sunday trial. When Stan told me that he was playing this deck online, I, my response was, "I'm so mad about this, but I'm saving it for the show." I don't. That's true. I don't want to take a ton of time on this, but I do have to say, you know, I talked last week about how saying that or picking this deck up now is like the most hipster thing in the world, and that's like how I feel about it because I'm like, I don't understand how someone could say I hated Yorian. And then be like, "I'm, but I'm going to play this deck. It's the same deck. This is the same. It's, not. De- it's the same deck. It's how, the same how, cards. How, how can did did you ever play a, a Yorian deck? Like, do you yeah. know the slog that that was? But this isn't this the same. Like, what's really different here? So what's different is there's four less abundant growth. Oh, there's no abundant growth. And no, 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 no. no. You're thinking too too minutia. Here's the difference. You draw the cards you want when you want them, and you draw your sideboard cards when you need them. That's the key difference. Like the, the the Yorian decks were consistent in the way that they always did the Yorian thing, but it was harder to be consistent when you like really needed to lean on a turn two Ren and six or a turn three to fairy, or it was really hard to be consistent when you knew you needed something like your Chalice or Supreme Verdict or Endurance out of the sideboard. You don't really have that problem here because you are actually to a certain extent getting through your deck faster because. Brennan Six is just like taking lands out of your deck every turn. Right. Um, you're also never like screwed on mana when that's when Brennan Six is humming. And it just felt like I saw cards more frequently when I wanted them and I could actually just like win faster. Um, when I played Yorion online a couple times, I would just like constantly go to time. And maybe that was me learning a new deck too, but it just was really hard to win when you're playing like all this air, like Abundant Growth and Mishra's Bobble sometimes, and not necessarily finding like actual wind conditions, except for the occasional Yorion that then has to like draw a bunch of cards, but they're not necessarily cards that you can even um, cast that turn. So this just felt like a, like a more polished version of like the Yorion deck, which was just like bloated with power and had a, had to be removed from the format because it just just because it had been gorging itself and all the best cards and just playing all of them because it it had to officially changing the podcast name to bloated with power (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good stan you're talking to dave and all i'm hearing is like doc brown he's just like dave you're just not thinking fourth dimensionally i'm saving time by spending time yeah (laughs) You, you might be peaking, Shane, but that's okay. Um, I, I'm sure Doc Brown too, was too with his giant amplifier that Marty McFly turned on when he shouldn't have. I can't I, remember if I had any other points to make other than... Oh, the, the, here's the last point I'll make, Dave, about you calling me a, a hipster. You are. I'm more, than just, I'm more than just a screen name on the internet. You know, I'm also a living, breathing person in a meat suit and one of the reasons why i really wanted to try this deck now is because last friday or the friday before last i finally finished my run and six play set Mm -hmm. so it's like now this deck is like truly within my grasp without me having to like ask my 40 something year old friend from a mile away to like borrow cards yeah yeah now i i look i'm I'm glad you had somewhat reasonable reasons but i do still kind of feel like it's the same (laughs) It's the same deck, maybe I mean, easier of to course. play. Like, yeah, like the principle is the same. Like, let's just play the best cards in four colors and and tie it all together with run and six. But if, if we we entered this 
like league as an experiment to see can four colors still hang not being our Yorion deck. I think we've now seen from both the Sunday 5k results as well as like my one anecdotal league. Yeah. Like there's still something really good here. Yeah. There's there's still a lot to be said about turn two Ren and six, free solitudes, and then eventually like playing an Obmath to to stabilize and make it almost impossible for opponents to win. Yeah. I never had a doubt about that. Definitely. So all right. Well, you have my permission to continue playing this deck. Shane, <laughs> yeah. what were you yeah. playing? I played Gruel Aggro in Pioneer, and it's 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 from OnlyLands.com, known good player, and they had a nice clean 5-0 in the 20th Pioneer League. This deck is kind of what you think it is. It's very Gruel, it's very aggro. It's just kind of like... You know, a red-based aggressive deck that runs Phoenix Chick, Swift Spear, Legion Loyalist, which I don't know if I like that card very much. But Matt Courier, Kari Zev, Rimrock Knight, Reckless Bushwhacker. Oh, yeah, that's the weird thing. Bernie Tree Emissary and Reckless Bushwhacker. Known good one-two punch. Also in this deck are four copies of Atarka's Command. Known standard power level card that deals three damage to each opponent and has some other modes, but you never use anything but deals three damage to each opponent and creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain reach. I suppose stopping life gain might come in in case of something really rogue. But anyway, so the long and short of this deck is that you spam creatures, you do chip damage, you get some prowess triggers off your Swiss beer, you do some air damage in the air with Phoenix Chick, but what you're really trying to put together are Reckless Bushwhacker turns. Because what Reckless Bushwhacker does is it it's a two man two and a red, two one with haste. Shane, that sounds bad. Oh wait, there's more. It has a surge cost of one and a red. You may cast a spell for its surge cost if you or a teammate, well, you, has cast another spell this turn. And if it enters the battlefield with its surge cost paid, other creatures you control get plus one, plus zero, and gain haste until end of turn. So what you typically try to put together here is a Reckless Bushwhacker turn, either for maybe just some quick value where it's like maybe six or seven points of damage or these wild alpha strikes where, you know, this happened to me twice in my league where I'm doing like double burning tree emissary into reckless bushwhacker. You pay for the surge cost off of the burning tree emissary. You do like nine points of damage just off those creatures alone, let alone anything else that you may still have on the battlefield. You live the dream, right? So that's kind of that's how you draw this this deck's game plan up. Otherwise, you're kind of getting some creatures onto the board. You're giving them plus one plus one with a Tarkas command. You're picking off uh, needed creatures or doing face damage with play with fire, all that kind of stuff. You're pumping your creatures with Rimrock Knight. You know the the usual stuff that you might want to do with a mostly red aggressive creature deck. Yeah, and I just want to hop in here for a minute because I played mono red aggro in pioneer that's similar i wanted to try out phoenix chick dot deck basically i gotta say this deck looks and sounds so much better to me than the red deck uh i don't know i mean like so let me let me tell you what i felt about it so like one i i wanted to test out phoenix chick i played like eight matches with this deck including one league i never cast a phoenix i cast like one phoenix chick like i just never mm-hmm. i never saw it in my hand you never drew it 
But yeah. I did get to draw. I get to. I mean, I'd much rather cast Burning Tree Emissary, Burning Tree Emissary, Reckless Pushwhacker than I would Phoenix Chick any day of the week. Right. So I'm I'm fine with how things came into play. So I had really polarizing matchups. Uh, I I shared my screenshot of my my league with you all. I had um, three wins, two losses. My wins, everything was two o or o two. My wins were Esper Control, uh, uh, Is It Phoenix, and some, I think it was like a multicolor um, deck with had main deck Yorian. I think it was like a Niv-Mizzet five-color deck. My losses were Gruel Midrange and Mono Green Planeswalkers and Mono Green Ramp. My total time in-game in my league was 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. my kind of league. Uh, I Like I said, I really never saw a Phoenix Chick, you know, Against slow decks, you can steamroll them. You know, you can dodge a counter spell here or there, or get them to tap out to like clear something, and then you come back in with like a you know thirteen point damage turn. There's a lot of ways for you to get you know get in under slower decks where they just feel like they have no chance, and then you play against something like this Gruel Midrange deck that has you know everyone's favorite or everyone's least favorite anti-aggro card of like Lovestruck Beast. If anyone casts Lovestruck Beast against you, it's like, well, the game's over. Like, I'm, I'm never mm-hmm. beating Lovestruck Beast. Uh, and Mono Green Walkers, unless you get really lucky and get really wide or really under them, you don't have much of a chance against the, the stone wall that they put up against you as well. You know, I, one game, like I said, I, I got them to one with like enough chip damage and burn to the face. And I was just like, well, if I top deck a burn spell... And I, I win, but it's like, well, if they combo off, they win, and they did. So, yeah. You know, and I mean, then you could have top jacked a Phoenix chick. Yeah. I mean, there's some options. Yeah. You know? But, like, l- largely, I mean, it's the kind of deck that, like, I love when it does what it does, but I don't know if that means it's a good deck. I think it means that they can, like, beat certain decks in the metagame. And if you want to have some scissors against someone else's paper, then sweet, yeah, you get to cut through it. But then, you know, you, if you face down the rock, you're not going to be happy. And I think that's, that's somewhat of a feature of Pioneer, I think. Uh, I'd rather it be like a bug, but I think it's just kind of like how the the format works in a lot of ways. I don't know if I think that this deck has some like innate power level. I feel like it's almost like a combo deck where you're, like, you're really trying to maximize Bushwhacker turns like in an intelligent way as much as you can. But you know, I, I think it's fun. It's my kind of deck. It's it's a it's a blast to like just run through a league in a half hour. What drew you to this version versus the slightly chonkier Gruel version? I, I think that's the Willy Idol version. Yeah, the Idol version. Like, it's has, way different, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Like that one's different. got like a Seekus Chariot and the Love. Because I don't, beast. I don't like a Seekus Chariot. I don't. I mean, I don't want to play these cards. I want to play. I want to play two mana creatures. I also, um, I also generally like only lands.com's deck selection. And I wanted mm. to play what they're doing, um, just see what they got out of it, and, and give it a run. I, I actually feel that I too love Reckless Bushwhackers, and like anytime I see that appear in a Pioneer deck, that does make me raise an eyebrow because I, I, I still have my playset from when they were in Standard because I loved playing it in Standard and like Oath of the Gatewatch era. Yeah, I mean, I really liked the original Goblin Bushwhacker as well. Definitely enjoyed playing Eight Whack occasionally in Modern, but I think Shane, as far as aggro decks and Pioneer go. I just feel like 
this kind of thing looks better to me than what I started out with in mono red, yeah. where you're really leaning a lot harder on th these burn spells that are like not great or kind of expensive, you know? And so if you look at the red deck that I played, you know, I have play with fire, but then I also have skewer the critics light up the stage, which I'm kind of like, I don't know if this is like really what I want to be doing without uh, the build that I was playing. Didn't have Chandra in it. It had bone crusher giant and hazard at the hazard at the fervent instead of some of the stuff that you have in your deck as well. It just didn't feel like it had the same kind of explosive potential as these, you know, burning tree emissary into reckless bushwhacker slash Atarka's command hands that can all be really really powerful in in different ways and just let you do a really focused game plan on going wide and then doing a bunch of extra damage with some kind of pump effect which feels a lot more like a plan that has the explosiveness you need in um pioneer right now as opposed to you know playing hazard it just seems like what are we doing right now mopey. unfortunately yeah i mean i love hazard but it's it is it's a little mopey right now so i i am in the middle of a pioneer league with this deck still but i i don't think that it's really got what it takes to um to compete in the same way that this one does especially if we get more popular mid-rangey decks like that like the red green vehicles deck that we were talking about a minute ago seems like a pretty rough matchup i guess i do want to talk about um just really briefly carpulson forest did feel like a good addition like with four Crackcrown Pathway, four Capulson Forest, and four Stomping Ground, I felt like I had enough mana to get. Because the only thing you really needed on two is a Tarkus Command, and you're really never casting a Tarkus Command on turn two. So, like, you have like enough draws to reliably, I think, hit your green that you need for really only a Tarkus command and potentially Yavimaya Iconoclast if you're playing that creature. But you usually cast that late for like a finishing move, like because it has haste if you kick it type thing. So anyway, I think Carpulson Forest felt good. The life lost was not super relevant. It did, uh, you know, an aggro mashup, uh, excuse me, aggro mirror I had in tournament practice. Uh, I definitely drew two of them and it did hit my life enough where I was not happy about it for sure. But uh, what else were you playing, Dave? The only t other deck I spent some time with last week was Scam. And I don't know if I have a ton of extra insight to build off of the deck dive that we did a couple weeks ago, other than to say that I feel like I'm getting better with the deck. And I don't totally know why. I think some of it was probably matchups. I had a couple of games where I, uh, matches where I was better. Blood Moon was better basically and also the hand disruption proved to be better and stick better so i don't know if the first couple of times i played it if maybe people just ran hot on cards that they drew after i after i griefed them but this felt like the threats that i put out stayed a bit longer i did get to do you know a bunch of important things with ordering of the grief triggers to make sure that we were avoiding counter spells and stuff like that um it was a good it was a good leak um, if if you stick with this deck, I would love to hear you eventually try to identify what level ups or or maybe non-intuitive plays you've unlocked that helps you get better with it. Because I think it being a deck that just like walks that razor's edge so frequently, hearing those insights would be pretty interesting and, yeah. and maybe even in, like useful for me to to get better with it myself. Just need more practice. Hmm. Okay, like Alan Iverson, we've got Dave. 
we're talking about practice. Yeah, but I definitely am going to switch. As far as Pioneer goes, I'm going to try this Gruel Aggro deck going forward, even though Shane tried it and, yeah, keep going with Scam. I think it's fine. It's just like, I mean, I think figuring out how you win the tough matchups is where you get some edges here because the easy matchups are easy. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, that was fun, guys. I, I always love an episode when we all get to play a little magic. Not together, but at the same time. That does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to our podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic Online with a Mana Trader subscription. Sign up for a Mana Traders account using promo code THEDIVEDOWN15, all one word, to get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code THEDIVEDOWN15 for 15% off your first order at Barrister and Man. And then save some money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 to get 8% off your order with NRG. As always, special thanks to the bands Nor and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and stay at Dave's house.